Hello friends, I am Manuel Avila and this is Spirituality and Science. With this episode, I want to share with you a bit of a personal project of mine. It's called Children's World Encyclopedia. Uh, this is something that I've been working on for the last six years and that I just completed recently. And to celebrate this milestone, I want to share a new chapter of my spiritual journey. This time, it's from the first memories uh, that I recall from my early childhood and the way in which I learned to understand love, pain, and reality through that very particular prism of childhood. And I'll invite you to take a look at my uh, encyclopedia website uh, that's uh, located in the post where I publish this uh, podcast. And without further ado, uh, I want you to listen to this uh, new episode of my spiritual journey. The first memory that I have goes back to 1983 at the school of the presentation Luna Park in which I did kindergarten, the only year of preschool that I attended. I was three years old at the time and I remember observing the counterweight of one of the basketball goals of the courier. The metal cylinder, probably filled with concrete, uh, used to prevent the structure from collapsing under the weight of the board, seemed to me similar in diameter to the basketballs that I have seen before. Therefore, I deduce that this must have been the place where the balls were stored uh, while they were not being used. The memory has no importance at all, except for the fact that I keep it with total clarity in my mind. That curiosity to understand how things work and what they have inside entirely reflect the mental process that even today I perceive as my way of thinking. A year later, at four, I was already in the first grade of primary school and I enjoyed of much more clarity of thought. I remember very well several episodes of my first year of public school at the San Benito School playing with friends, trying to internalize the spelling rules that the teacher taught us, and especially facing the first fears that I remember I had. One of them was about a girl next to whom I sat in class and who was often unkind to me. It is likely that her attitude was also hostile towards other children because one day, after fighting with another child, she received a cruel punishment from the kid. The boy took a pencil with an extremely sharp point and made an apparently deep cut in the girl's neck from one ear to the other. I remember the feeling of paralyzing fear when I heard the screams of this girl and then I saw her with her uniform covered in blood that ran down her neck while some teachers tried to assist her. Later on, in the same school, I would have to see my own blood for the first time when I suffered a deep wound in my ankle while I was playing in the schoolyard. Sitting on the floor, a piece of glass, perhaps from a broken bottle, had cut through my skin in such a way that I had to be referred to a nearby health center to get the fragment extracted and then a few stitches. 
These events, in addition to the constant and demotivating red ink excess with which the teacher disqualified my endless writing repetitions, convinced my parents to switch me to the school where one of them worked at the time. The change to me was like a balm. Attending classes was becoming an unpleasant penance for me. The problem was that my discovery of evil and danger in the world was not limited to passive observation of the events that, that unfolded. On the contrary, my restless mind was somewhat obsessed with understanding how it was possible that someone could harm another human being in such a cruel way. I also had and I still have the habit of imagining myself as being the one being inflicted that harm and recreating in my mind the pain and the fear suffered by others to the point that sometimes I, I become deeply disturbed and restless. This way of thinking was just a nasty part of my overarching fascination for understanding the world, experiencing it firsthand by dividing it into parts and analyzing it in the smallest detail. In the same way that I questioned myself at such an early age about the nature of human emotions, I also wondered about the working of electrical appliances and natural phenomena. If I could sum up in one sentence my attitude towards life during most of my childhood, would probably be I experiment or I experience. Knowledge fascinated me, especially the experience of building that knowledge base on my own perspective. I would swipe my fingers across a flame just to know firsthand the nature of fire. I would take apart my toys and little tadpoles to understand how they work, but just as intensely, I would also toy with my own fears and instincts to know their limits within my own mind. The curiosity that characterized me in my early years was both encouraged and restrained by my parents, who surely debated between the will to instill in me an inquisitive spirit, but also the necessary obedience to fit in with society. On the one hand, they provided me with books on dinosaurs, Leonardo da Vinci, or astrophysics, and suggested interesting challenges for my mind, but in the same way, they had to limit my sometimes dangerous home experiments, some of which involved fire, electricity, weights, sharp objects, or a combination of all the above. I lived a childhood that was undoubtedly happy, nurturing, calm, and intellectually stimulating. Thanks to growing up with two sisters, I also always had company in my adventures and allies to carry out my projects. My mom and dad were present, loving parents, without the mellow characteristics of the 21st century fatherhood. Always available and always ready to support their children in everything we needed to grow healthy and happy. However, due to the way that they were raised, their views on emotions were always very pragmatic. Topics such as love, fear, evil, sex, human experience, the purpose of life or death were treated from the perspective of religion or its practical function. Conversations on these subjects were generally settled by resorting on faith in the aid of divine providence or arguing that there were subjects on which one should not think about 
but instead occupy the mind with more productive things. The truth is that in my case, at least during childhood, those answers were enough. Not so for my sister, Julia, who was uh, since an early age uh, in her pre-adolescence, she had to deal with depression caused by the anguish that the idea of her own mortality and that of her loved ones caused in her. On the other hand, I was very busy devouring knowledge about all the topics that interested me and experiencing every new emotion that awoke in human experience. Within the spectrum of human emotions, there were three in particular that fascinated me ever since. Romance, fear, and spirituality. All three probably among the deepest emotions that human beings can get to know, and in my particular case, those that would define my life ever since. I had the fortune of growing up with parents who, without being corny or even using the phrase, I love you at all, neither among themselves nor with their children, always knew how to show love in a tender and profound way. Between them, they always called each other love. And this is the way that I learned to use to refer to my partner. The same way, it was always uh, every day an a spontaneous expression of affection from my father towards my mother, with a kiss, a surprise hug, a piece of poetry, and the occasional compliment. With such an example of at home, it was only natural that I wanted to explore the experience of love early on. And the first woman that I remember having that feeling for was a first cousin uh, whom I saw on average once a year. This unlikely love accompanied me since I was, I estimate, about six or seven years old until well into my teens. In a way, it also laid the foundation of my understanding of love, being a, an unrequited feeling that was nourished by just like a look, a, a hug, a smile. I learned to recognize love as an individual emotion, not necessarily a, a couple's emotion. There was no expectation in my childhood love except for the looking forward to a new encounter that would water that love with a few drops and keep it alive. My cousin was actually sometimes hateful or at least or indifferent to me, which I don't blame her for as my impertinence was legendary. But even so, I knew that between the two of us, there was always a special connection, a different affection. And generally that feeling shown through all the moments of farewell when she had to return to the city of her city of origin after the holidays. Those brief moments of a hug with a few words of affection were enough to keep the flame of that childhood love alive and strong for the next few months. Tanya was to me what Becky Thatcher was to the incorrigible Tom Sawyer, a silent and hopeless love that nonetheless gave me many of the happiest moments of my childhood. I was also it was also a love that stayed in the background when life presented me with a new opportunity to experience romance. That was how I had my first uh, quote-unquote girlfriend when I was eight years old, when I was in fifth grade, without even a kiss in between. That, that sweet girl with curly back, black hair, who I never heard from after finishing elementary school, 
also captivated my thoughts and my heart for a long time during which my cousin gave me as, as many sights. The same thing happened on other occasions, sometimes briefly during a visit to a resort or a, on a school trip. It was clear that I was a person prone to falling in love and I enjoyed that enormously. Almost every night I would dedicate my last thoughts before going to sleep to the girl or girls who were the object of my affection at the time. I spent hours talking about them with my sisters, especially with Julia, and I lived those feelings with total intensity. Every encounter that existence allowed me to live and that would wake up that magical feeling in me. Over time, I learned to recognize, however, that my experience of love was not limited to my relationship with women. My, much like these uh, ease in which I fell in love with girls, I also fell in love with music, with books, television shows, or games. For example, I clearly remember the exact moment when I first heard a song that resonated with my innermost fibers. Um, please forgive me in 1993 or Yesterday by the Beatles in 1994. Some of the books that marked my childhood were animated books about the life of Leonardo da Vinci, space and dinosaurs. A couple of them I got to memorize in their entirety. The Encyclopedia, El Mundo de los Niños, The Children's World, was another work that became a lifelong love since it came into my hands when my parents made the enormous effort to acquire it at installments back in 1985. And even today, more than 30 years later, It is still present in my home library for my own enjoyment and that of my children. In all of the above cases, the emotional sensation that I that linked me to music, books, or stories was very similar to the one I experienced with the girls I liked. I thought about them, talked about them, and enjoyed the moments that I spent with them with all my heart. In all the cases I've mentioned, My active imagination was the tool that I used to transform simple notes, letters, or memories into real worlds in which I immerse myself and explore with the same emotion that I did in real life. Today, I recall this ability to imagine somewhat like the what Bill Watterson drew in his famous cartoon, Calvin and Hobbes. Any element that stimulated my creativity allowed me to create a temporary re reality in which situation flowed as naturally as in the real world. At the time, I was not aware of myself being the creators of those the creator of those realities. Instead, I felt that I was connecting with a parallel reality that I could invoke at any moment. I remember, for example, that I liked to get inside the fold that my mother made in the upper part of the bed cover. There, I imagined that I had shrunk to the size of a marble and found myself in a pocket of one of my father's shirts. I well remember that I could physically feel the movement of my dad when he got up and feel the vertigo of being suspended at a height many times greater than my own. Other favorite places to let my imagination run wild in the house were inside a bedroom furniture or under huge piles of clothes. Today, When I see my daughter Luciana sitting on top of a closet, 
I think she must be Queen Elsa in her castle on the mountain. During my childhood years, my role in the games that I played with my sisters was always, always that of director and sometimes also screenwriter. I explained the concept of a fantasy, which could be that of explorers in a lost city or researchers facing a natural disaster, and I assigned my sister the role they should play and the ideas or sometimes the exact lines that they should say. Games often had storylines that continued through several days or perhaps months and moved through multiple locations. Going back to my experience of love, one of the greatest pleasures that I had at the time was to fantasize about new encounters with my crush of the moment. I enjoyed the excitement, the tickling in my stomach, the pleasure of those moments as many times as I wanted. Sometimes I added to those memories a soundtrack, my favorite song of the moment, or elements of romantic stories that I subtracted from Mexican soap operas at the moment. And in that way, I could spend hours immersed in my fantasies. This feature of my mind that probably most children have would be the lens through which I have experienced my entire life. The ability to create vivid realities in my mind developed as I grew older from childhood games and adolescent loves to become the source of creativity to develop personal projects, write stories, create products, undertake and change the way of doing things around me. However, although it is often thought that there is always a clear differentiation between reality and imagination, at least in people without mental disorders, in practice there is a wide spectrum of dimensions of human experience in which the division between reality and imagination is not quite clear. The mind is not just a filter of the perception that our senses give us, but it actually builds the very scaffolding of reality, which is formed not only with the information reported by our senses, but also with our entire belief system, knowledge, and experiences. In the next chapters, I intend to show my exploration of this reality from both an objective and a subjective perspective, through what I call my spiritual search, looking with hindsight from the lens of my mature age and my new life in Canada, the paths that I have traveled in this search have been equally strange, dangerous, and fascinating, but above all, full of teachings that I want to share with anyone who reads this post or listens to this podcast in many generations to come. This is the testimony of my journey through the paths of modern flowers of my spiritual search. Have a good journey and a nice breeze.